Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed, and this particular episode is one of our deep dives. We're going to dive deep into our own special memories of the special editions on their big anniversary times. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Napsuck. I love special anniversary times, and I love the special editions, and I love my special memories. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be a lot of fun. 
I mean, the title of this episode of the podcast has special in it twice. So we're really setting a bar high for ourselves. <laughs> and before we see if we can clear our own bar, we want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, we are continuing to recommend the new High Republic adventure, Midnight Horizon by Daniel Jose Older. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash center. But there is still more. There is another offer. Inside Edition's publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books is offering 35% off across their website if you use this special link insideeditions.com slash discount slash FC35. This week, we're recommending the Inside Editions book, the mini book of lightsabers. You hear this page? Oh, that page didn't flip like I wanted it to. You hear this book? I have it in my hands, the mini book of lightsabers. It's so wonderful. It's an update of their book, the, the lightsaber collection they released a while ago that we love here. It's uh, got updated uh, High Republic characters, cool art all the way through it, and you can hold it in one hand. It's a Star Wars re- research book for you to take on the go. If you want it or any other Inside Editions book and you want that discount, use the link InsideEditions.com slash discount slash FC35. Joseph. Oh, I love that little book. I'm fascinated with the fact that it's little. I'm going to think of it as a coffee table book you can put on the coffee table in your dollhouse. And it's just a massive book <laughs> in your dream house, dollhouse, coffee and table. It's, and it's so tiny, but they've got one coming out that's even tinier that we can't yeah. wait to discuss as well that I have in my hands right now. Uh, Unbelievably that? tiny. Listen to that. <laughs> yeah. You hear that tininess? Uh, is. You you could put this with a ferret and it would look like it's a book, a big book for a ferret to hold. That's how tiny it is. <laughs> a big book for a ferret. Well, welcome to Four Center ASMR where Ken just flips pages <laughs> at you. It's really relaxing. Here, I got some scissors for you. There we go. There we go. Uh, all right. We're going to get into this before we just start making random noises. Uh, here's my pocket knife. The knife pulling out. Uh, anyway, we are going to get into this. It is time for some memories that we find special, uh, but perhaps just like the special editions, they might be controversial. We've done a couple episodes like this where we'll definitely uh, share some uh, opinions, some maybe even analyzing of the Star Wars text like we always do, but our main focus is to just travel back in time and relive that experience that that we lived through at the age that we lived through, and uh, if you as a listener want to send in uh, some thoughts of how you experienced it, whenever you experienced it, that's great too. We love hearing about everybody's different perspectives and the different ways you experience Star Wars based on where you are in your life. Uh, But before we dive in, here's just some basic information. 25 years ago, in early 1997, the special editions of the original trilogy were released. The releases were heavily advertised. A New Hope was released on January 31st, 1997. Empire Strikes Back was released on February 21st, 1997. And Return of the Jedi It was scheduled to release on March 7th, 1997, but it got bumped back to March 14th because the first two were still raking in the big bucks. The three films made $252 million uh, in the domestic release, $220 million overseas for a worldwide total of $472 million. Back then, $1997, not too shabby. Uh, I had to do that research because I I wanted to just kind of have the facts out there, Ken. Uh, But also, I didn't trust my memory. I thought that Return of the Jedi got bumped much farther than that in my memory. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, you, you're right. It, uh, it 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 just was so crazy. Like, what? I, but the, the, the trailer said that. And then again, on March 7th, like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I remember it being a surprise that it would that they were making as much money. Like, to mm-hmm. live it at the time, it was like, this is shocking. There's a yeah. 20-year-old movies making a ton of money. What's that? And in, the, and in the dead part of the season, right? This is not yeah. blockbuster times, January, February, March. No, this was junk pile season back in the day, and that's changed uh, in a lot of ways, including don't ever release a movie in December, right? <laughs> like uh, <laughs> A lot of that's changed over the last few years. Star Wars having a big part to do with that as well. But yeah, you're right. Like to go to a movie theater in February? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just um, one month after the other, just keep coming back to the movie right. theater right. for the, for more of the, the space movies. All right, weirdos. Uh, but let's dive into our memories. In 1997, Ken, uh, at the time of the release of these uh, special editions, where were you in life? What was your relationship with Star Wars? So at this time, uh, I'd be about 20, 21, coming up on 22 fast, I think. Uh, and I was in radio. I'd started my radio career by this point. My And I'm putting this in uh, with capital letters. My professional entertainment career. I was a local radio man as a kid with a long hair and a big beard. Uh, and I was trying to be an adult, right? It wasn't, <laughs> I was trying to be still living at home, still dreaming about one day getting to LA. And this was that era. And you and I are probably going to re- refer to it a lot of, of just, you know, talking about this, this being star Wars and other things. It's talking about it in a public was still a nerd thing. And, and I had spent, um, I had spent two years around film school folks uh, prior to this, uh, 94, 95, 96 uh, community college days. I was studying screenwriting, film production, all that kind of stuff. And I was around film nerds who love Star Wars. So that was refreshing. Here I was back in in the world. And it it, it felt like I had to choose what specific uh, world I wanted to be in, right? Like, <laughs> do I like music? Am I a rocker? Do I like that? Do I like sports? Because I like sports. Am I a sports guy? Or do I like nerd stuff? Choose one. It was, it was like that was the message. Choose one and definitely choose the one that isn't the kid stuff was kind of the prevailing theme of the day. And that's where I was, both physically in uh, my hometown of Royal Grande, California, Pismo Beach area. Uh, and that's when these movies dropped during that era of my life. Excellent. So you were, you were poised to have a reawakening. Yeah, look, by this time, a friend of mine uh, named Megan, she was the night DJ, I was the morning show team. Uh, she had, we, I had a Star Wars Monopoly game, the same one that you, Jennifer, and I played on our YouTube video for our <laughs> thing. Um, and, and we would play it every night at the radio station. She was a Star Wars fan. I was a Star Wars fan. I was playing TIE Fighter on the family PCs. But but it just was different. I was And I was ready for Star Wars to explode back in this way. Yeah. Okay. So you were excited for it. It wasn't like a, a crisis. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. It was like, ah, great. I secretly love this stuff. Not so secretly, but yeah, secretly love this stuff. Yeah, but we're, weren't making it a part of your day-to-day. I, no, no, I couldn't. If I mentioned it on radio, that was, that was, I mean, meant I was, um, you know, set up for uh, nerd jokes. Right. Okay. <laughs> no? Yeah. No, it was a different time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of figures into my memories as well. I was still in college in 1997, really wanting to be done with it, going to a university of Minnesota, learned a lot of great things. Uh, but by then I, I had started going to college uh, to get my degree in visual art and painting and drawing. So I had lots of painting and drawing classes, and I love that. That kind of the trajectory of my life was uh, I discovered that in those painting and drawing classes, 
uh, you would have parts of the class where you painted and then everybody would put up their paintings and you'd go around the room discussing them. And I didn't realize at the time I would basically uh, paint something so I could try to do a stand up routine about it and get laughs. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, during college kind of segued into like, oh, uh, Mm. performing uh, lots of sketch in improv comedy uh, in theaters, in theatrical settings. Uh, and uh, so then I, I met a lot of people doing sketch and improv comedy. And a lot of those people were like all in nerds, right? Like this, mm-hmm. the, here, here, here's, do you also have the secret ring? <laughs> right. That means that, oh, you, you've uh, not only are willing to openly talk about uh, Star Wars and have posters on your the rooms of your adult bedrooms of superheroes, but you'll even talk about Doctor Who. Like, yeah. <laughs> you'll go into the deep stuff. You know, you know some Klingon. Like, and it was like, all right, found my people. You know, mm-hmm. uh, from both comedy and the nerd perspective. Um, but a lot of my relationship with it was, hey, this is great that I get to bring Star Wars into my life a little bit because it would uh, come into sketch and comedy shows mm. uh, 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 from uh, the let's have it, a lot of it was let's joke about being nerds. And in fact, I, I remember mm. the actual date in December of 1996. So right before the special editions, uh, I had a kind of recurring Saturday Night Live, like this is my character that I do, who is a super weirdo, uh, but also a nerd. And I think the sketch was like Santa was real and could give this character anything he wanted, including like power and respect. And and the joke was uh, what he wanted was a a cardboard cutout standee of Princess Leia, (laughs) (laughs) which I did not have a lot of money, but I went and spent money on that uh, because I could write it off on my taxes because it was in the comedy show. And then that, you know, Standy lived with me for many years, (laughs) still in my storage shed, but I bought it for the comedy sketch. So it was on that line of like, it gets to be part of my life, but it's in, in my life because I'm kind of making fun of being a nerd. So yeah. still this tension, you know? And then uh, I had a couple friends I could talk to about action figures, but, you know, the power of the force line coming back, my connection with Star Wars had always been so much about the action figures, uh, collecting that line, being excited about what was coming next. I, I feel like that was a huge reawakening of my fandom and that really funneled into the excitement that came with the special editions. Yeah. It was an exciting time to be a nerd. We just maybe didn't fully know how exciting it was about to get. <laughs> exactly. It was exciting and yet still a little shameful is what we, you and I are both saying. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, culturally yeah. at the yeah. time. Yeah. No, look, different times, different times. And I'm glad it's gotten better. And it, it's, it's gotten better perfect. and very yeah. different. Very different. Always striving for more perfection, more inclusion and, and, and uh, making Star, make sure Star Wars is the best for everybody. But yeah, that, that was that was a time, man. That was a time. Yeah. So you and I were in a similar place where we were kind of taking a half a step into being full adults, but maybe not fully there yet. Did Star Wars being 20 years old make you feel old at all? What was your what did it make you feel about the passage of time? This is a great question. I'm glad you asked this because, no, it didn't make me feel old. Time was was working in a different way for me then. Right. Again, 2021, 22 range. Age is a weird thing. Time is a different thing. And Star Wars was from another era, even though I was in that era and watched it as a kid. Um, I always say that pre-1987 is is like ancient pop culture stuff to me. Everything from 87 on, I kind of really remember actively being a part of, right? right. I, it's my dividing line. So even though I actively was part of Star Wars and actively bought the figures and, and saw the movies and all that kind of stuff, 
it 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 was way in the distant past. So I didn't view it as nostalgia. I didn't view it as whoa, twenty years, man. Joshua Tree <laughs> is farther from us than Sergeant Pepper was from Joshua Tree, man. Like I, I none of that. It was just like, yeah, Star Wars. It it's kind of never really left my life, so it's always there. So I did I had a di- I did not have that. Oh my gosh, I'm old feeling. No, I didn't either. And I think that is just our perception of time, right? I, yeah. I was still like, I want time to move fast so I can really grab the reins of my life, right? Um, and at, at that age, uh, I was too young to understand how quickly 20 years old will become <laughs> 40 <laughs> years old. And now it feels like a blink of the eye. And I think that is just yeah. the way we perceive time. And yeah, I, I wanted to ask this to see if you experienced it any differently. And for me, it felt more like, Great, great. Uh, I uh, I've always related, uh, or rather, I've always wanted to relate to moments like Obi Wan saying that was a long time ago because I thought <laughs> it'd make me feel like I've been here for a while. Now I have life experiences. This makes me a, a serious, you know, important person. When you can go, wow, happened a long time ago, man. That was in the past. <laughs> I haven't seen you in seven years. All those things always sounded cool to me. Yeah. So this yeah, felt yeah. cool to me. Like, yeah, twenty years ago, man. It's been that long. It's been that long, <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> um, and there was so many debates about nostalgia. I was thinking about that. I'm sure people older than me might've been like, Ugh, we already did this. What, what movie theaters bringing back things? This is nostalgia. Maybe that conversation happened with older people. But right. from my perspective at the time, it felt so new. It was a novel thing, right? That yeah. obviously films had come back many times. Star Wars had come back, uh, you know, throughout the run of the original trilogy. James Bond movies often came back you know in the uk every time there was a new bond movie so it wasn't entirely new but this whole like we're celebrating the 20th anniversary by entirely re-releasing a trilogy felt new and the technology felt new right Uh, yeah yeah i think the in the fact that that was a lot of the discussion of it's not just we're re-releasing them for nostalgia like we're freshening them up there's uh things that we can do now with technology that we couldn't uh uh do before in in contrast to nostalgia, it felt like the dawn of a new age of tech, you know, uh, going from T2 to Jurassic Park to now this, it felt like on this precipice of pretty soon anything is going to be possible. And we're still, you know, experiencing that. I think, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, look at, look at what they can do with Grogu. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that's a great point around it. Why, why it wasn't lost in, in nostalgia at that point or, or felt older. Cause it, yeah, you're right. It was this literally advertised the whole seat again for the first time with a few added surprises. I mean, was mind blowing at the time tech was just growing. And of course, of course you look back and the tech is not as good now. Of course, that's how it works. But I think we all were more focused on that. It was an opening of a door to a new era to me because we're going to talk about later, but you know, the rumors of more films coming and all that kind of stuff work. Yeah. It was all, it was all a swirling, uh, you know, by early as 1994, it's film magazines talking about new star Wars movies. And in fact, George had already grabbed that yellow pad of paper and was writing them. This we know now. But back then, I didn't, you know, you're not plugged into the daily news cycle like you are now. So it was, I think that's a great point. New technology, new looks, modern times, and Star Wars is going to enter it. Yeah. So it was an exciting time. What are your memories of seeing uh, A New Hope in theaters? I think you've told me a story before uh, about A New Hope. So I'm, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, yeah, no, and 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 uh, we just recently did a Spotlight Star Wars episode, episode 150 with Billy Patterson, and it was mostly his story, so I peppered some stuff in, so I, you know, I might be repeating some stuff, but it bears repeating now for the context of this conversation. I, it was my first experience with buying tickets beforehand, 
Like it didn't mm. do the weight. I didn't have to do the weight, but the day they released tickets, Festival Cinemas, Royal Grande, California, uh, theater's still there. There's a now giant Walmart behind the uh, theater where it used to be an empty lot where I'd hit golf balls at the, at the theater wall. Uh, first time I waited for tickets, right? First time, and it wasn't reserved seating. It's first time I had to say, hey, everybody, movie, I have the 1030 showing. We must be there at 1005. Did you, were you, you know, online already or did you physically go to the theater to pre-purchase tickets? Went to the, went to the theater, went to okay. the theater, purchase uh, two shows, six tickets, each show, <laughs> you know, and a couple of my friends, uh, shout out to, to Joel, I think my friend Casey, you know, high school buddies, uh, fellow nerds as well were there. My friend Megan, her sister, I remember was there as well. And it was um, a lot of excitement. Then I've talked that second showing the, the first movie, the first showing ends and it was kind of like, oh, we have to. Yeah, okay, we have to stay here again, right? And I think a couple of people killed <laughs> off and went home, and I just was like, yeah, I got to do it. I'm going to do it again. I, I was overzealous. I bought too much. It's like buying too much food for a party. <laughs> but you were just so excited of like, it's going to be so mind-blowing to see it in the theater again. I, we want to have the experience. Like, you, you just want to go on the roller coaster two times in a row. Yeah, look, you, you know, again, episode one is a rumor at this point. Uh, and uh, the idea of more films beyond that, episode one or beyond, was was – I couldn't conceive it. So this was, I remember specifically for new hope had this, we'll never experience this again vibe with my friends. Mm. Yeah. You that know? makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Like gather around. We're going to, we're, you're going to remember the day you saw a new star Wars <laughs> film in theaters. <laughs> and do you have so, one we saw, but <laughs> <laughs> so you did see it twice then. I saw it twice that day, early first two showings. Uh, and I, you know, I would work uh, morning show radio stuff. So I'd be at work 6am uh, off and off, uh, off by 10am. And so I rushed up to the theater, which rush, it was the other side of town, three minutes away in a small town. Um, <laughs> and just, I couldn't wait, couldn't wait, couldn't wait. We're seeing star Wars in the theater. Are you crazy? This can't be happening. Yeah. And, and do you have any memories of the act? Obviously you remember waiting and you remember going to see it again, but do you have any memories of actually like viewing it? What struck you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we'll get into some details of the scenes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, The the great debate of which were good changes (laughs) or not. We'll get into that. But I'm curious if there's anything of like food, smells, an interaction with a friend, any of that sort of like viewing experience memories. Mm, Yeah, no, it was a rush to get in. And I am, um, this is why I'm so thankful for signed seatings in theaters that you can go online and buy your tickets. I am a little bit of an anxious seater. Uh, so it was a little bit of like, okay, I got six tickets. We got to find, we got it. We got to find seats together. And, you know, the theater was, and it was 10 AM. Like and <laughs> no one was there. No one was there. Um, and even my friends were kind of like, calm down, man. We, we got seats. Um, and I am, uh, even now I'm kind of, I'm not the greatest to go see movies with. Get a little grumpy. I want to sit in the corner. I eat all my food before the first trailer shows up. Right. I just want to concentrate. And so I was yep. a little bit of that. Like everyone settle, everyone settle. We're watching Star Wars. No, we're we're in sync. I like the, being there early, and I don't want rustling around with food. Uh, <laughs> I'll sip a cocktail, but that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> quietly, no <laughs> slurping. Uh, yeah, I I have strong memories of seeing a New Hope in theaters. I don't know if we tried to get advanced tickets. I know I went with uh, my brother and who I was doing uh, the comedy shows with at the time, as well as some of our other friends. I don't remember who all was there because it was kind of a larger group. I remember people. I remember being surprised that as many of my comedy and improv uh, cohorts were is excited about it. Uh, so that was kind of a fun revelation. Uh, this is a memory I have not thought about in a long, long time, but for uh, different chunks of my life in college, I didn't have um, enough money mm-hmm. and uh, one contact would rip and I would just adjust to looking at the world with only one contact. <laughs> 
for large swaths of time when I look back of like months at a time. And I realized like that's one of my memories of A New Hope was being kind of annoyed with myself that I didn't scrounge money from somewhere to get a new set of contacts because I just had the one. But it, I'd become totally used to looking at the normal world that way, but not yeah. the big screen. So I had to calibrate a little bit. <laughs> Do you like close one eye the whole movie? Like how did that how did that work out? Your brain just adjusts and it's dangerous. You know, it, yeah, it, it can right. mess you up. So I I do not advise it. Uh, you know, I, I could have uh, maybe held off on a few of the action figures and, and records I was collecting <laughs> back then and taking care of my own health. That's <laughs> I, I have never heard that angle of it. Uh, I had totally forgot about it. Uh, and we saw it at a theater that uh, is a, a great theater in Minneapolis. In some ways, it's just a, the 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 last time I went, I went was several years ago now. Um, in the actual theaters, there's nothing to write home about. The the seats, uh, the, the floor isn't that raked and it's uh, often quite sticky. Uh, but it is got this beautiful location. Uh, it's uh, the St. Anthony Main Theater. Uh, for anybody from uh, the Twin Cities who knows which one I'm talking about. So uh, it's on a nice parkway uh, on a right by the Mississippi River. So you walk out of the theater and you take a few steps and you can look at the river. And I just mm-hmm. I always loved going to movies there because uh, when you left the fantasy world, at least the real world was kind of interesting instead of just like right, <laughs> a right. parking lot in a suburb. It's like, well, but there's the river and, the, you know, the falls that are the reason that Minneapolis exists. That's pretty cool. That's cool, too. <laughs> Uh, so I remember going to see it there and being happy to be at St. Anthony, Maine. Um, and we'll get into some of the reactions to the actual changes. Mm-hmm. But my strongest memory is uh, one of the first times I was exposed to other people's opinions about Star Wars that upset me. Uh, oh, that's ooh, yeah, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Continue. That's a, that's a part of this journey. And and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, specific opinions that friends had that I debated in, in that. But just the communal experience of seeing it. I had, you know, been watching those VHS pan and scam tapes again and again and getting older. Um, I, I knew the silly stuff was there, but I focused on the depth of it, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, on on Luke's journey and the pain he went through in Empire Strikes Back and how heroic he was to, you know, uh, to save his father and show him mercy. And, you know, uh, you know, when when I had to apologize for something, I said it in the deep way that Luke says, I'm sorry to Yoda. <laughs> You know, it's like I'd really internalized like the depth of Star Wars. So for me, it's like, yeah, Star Wars is fun. It's got lightsabers, but it's it's serious. Yeah. It's a perspective I had. And there's the moment in A New Hope where um, Vader has senses Obi-Wan. Right. And he says, uh, it's not a, pre- a presence I've not since, uh, you know, felt sense. And then turns quickly. Yeah. And the whole theater laughed and I got so pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, You know, I have a much more open mind now, but it's like. Star Wars isn't funny. Why are you laughing? Like, I got it. Like, okay, yeah. I get to see, I don't ever think of it that way, but I get it in context now that like, yeah, it sounds like he's kind of talking out loud to himself like a pantomime villain and then turns quickly without finishing his sentence. Like, yeah, I get it. If I saw that exact beat, if I saw Kramer do that in Seinfeld, I would yeah. laugh. Right. But this right. is Star Wars. <laughs> and you don't laugh at Star Wars. You specifically do not laugh at Darth Vader. <laughs> you fear Darth Vader. Exactly. So yeah. that is one of my strongest memories of being mad that people laughed at Darth Vader. That, that's really interesting because in the downtime between the two showings, it was the first time I had experienced, you know, new Star Wars is what we're calling it. New Star Wars, special editions, new scenes, new things to talk about and saw it in a setting where the reactions were immediate. So it was a test run for Twitter indeed. And, <laughs> 
the second showing. That's why a couple people were like, uh, I'm good. I'm going to go or, you know, we'll get into some specifics, but why, uh, why did they do that? And my man, that was fun because I just saw Star Wars in the theater. Like it was, that fire was burning and people were dumping water on it. <laughs> and it was the first time I had to experience that because before it's, it's playground stuff. You're too, you know, whatever you're playing Star Wars, you're debating, you're, you're snot nosed kid. What do you, what do you know? It's, it's not that. Um, it's different. It's different when it's already starting to, to inform a lot of who you are. And it wasn't, as we'll discuss, there's not that I, it wasn't that I blanketly just, you know, loved everything about the, the new hopes of special edition, excuse me. Um, but it was just like, that was fun. And then people are like, nah, it really wasn't. What's going on here? That is rough. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like I bought these tickets twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was like, Oh, I got to sit down and watch this again with these people. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was one of those first times of being like, oh, okay, well, I'm so thrilled that I get to start to share this with more people. But some of it, I will always have to protect my little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is what it means to me. Um, do you have any strong memories then of seeing Empire and Return of the Jedi or most of your memories of A New Hope? It is It is truly most about A New Hope. Um, I, I do remember being a little bummed in Empire that there wasn't as many new things, which is funny because I didn't have those deep thoughts of, well, the movie was too good for Lucas to mess up, you see, which is uh, a conversation point that I think emerged. I just was like, oh, I, you know, I don't know what else there could have been added, but I wanted to see more. I just kind of liked seeing the new stuff. And Return of the Jedi, I saw on March, March 14th, probably actually March 16th on a Sunday or whatever it was. Um, uh, I saw it with my parents. Mm. And my mom was so bored and she doesn't like these movies. <laughs> and I just, unfortunately it's maybe she, she's not shy in saying that either. <laughs> and just like, Oh, this is silly. This is, I don't like these movies. And I was just like, well, I'm trying, I'm trying to like them. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, I like them. You had a lot of not a lot of people pouring the water on the old star Wars flames. Yeah. yeah. So that's my memory of that versus the first one was, Again, I did not have six, six tickets. Um, you know, essentially, I bought twelve tickets. Good thing my contacts didn't break. I would, I would have been in your boat. Um, but the other ones, it was like, you know, my mom and dad and I went three tickets. You know, there it was, it was a different experience. Yeah, I think for me, going back to Empire and Jedi, I don't think the groups were as big, but I remember being, you know, really excited for them because there were all the different changes in A New Hope and there was Star Wars conversation. So then there was, they added like, at first it really was like, cool, there'll be some changes. Cool. But it's just amazing to see them on screen again. Um, But then I was all pumped up for the like, oh, but what are the changes going to be? So I remember being, Mm. having anticipation for that. I remember being thrilled by Empire that, (laughs) that I liked all the changes up until uh, one at the end, which we'll talk about. Um, (laughs) And I remember also uh, fully understanding that I didn't quite, uh, that there were maybe some bits of confusion about what was new, right? Yeah. Um, Because I remember the asteroid hit in a hologram joke, right? Of the character that in modern canon is now Cannon House. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Being, uh, throwing the hands up and being destroyed in the hologram flickering out. And uh, me thinking that was new and other people going like, why do you think that's new? And and like, they had to have the like, my VHS tapes are pan and scan and that might not have been on it. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Same. Yep. So I remember that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I I think the only strong memory I have of uh, Return of the Jedi, of, by then there was real anticipation, like what, what are the changes going to be? I remember being like truly shocked by Jao Yoza's throat. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember as he danced toward the screen that it would really felt like this. is. It feels like the camera is just going to go down his throat. It's not <laughs> going to, right? It's not. It, that's a lot of saliva and teeth. Wow. Like, <laughs> even before you get to the discussions and the debate, I remember mm-hmm. just truly being shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll discuss it. We are going to discuss it. But yeah, it was it was a shot. It was a decision. Yeah. So uh, you had a lot of water thrown on your flames. <laughs> uh, I had some water and some debate. But what are your memories of uh, of debating or discussing the changes? Did they happen just everywhere in in day to day life? Did you have like specific times at the bar where that was the the topic? Did you have friends you agreed with, friends you fought with? What's that whole journey? You had a little bit of more of a robust social life with me than me at that point, <laughs> Joseph. You being in college and me being a uh, really shy and not going places, uh, many misconnections over my years, uh, regrets, kids regrets. So I did, I wasn't out and about, I just had a small friend group. Um, but also, you know, being in, in radio at that time was, you know, every day you're checking the news wire everywhere, you know, spin magazine, you know, I just felt, you know, I'm watching MTV, you know, you know, I felt a little bit more, had to be kind of connected to what was going on. And so it's crazy to think that the Han shot first debate, how big it was when you look back, right? It, it was, was massive. Dominant pop culture discussion. George ruined them. And, and I, I didn't spend a lot of time debating with my friends, uh, like the morality of changing art, right? Which is also an understandable conversation to have around these movies that always pops up. Um, all of it was, it was just easier to make jokes with my friends. Um, despite lock, liking a lot of the special editions, and we can, you know, we'll talk about my relationship to them now. And that was the great thing about having the conversation with Billy a couple weeks ago. Billy, you know, we I got his point of view because these are his first Star Wars films. This is how he fell in love with them. He had no baggage of what was new nope. and what wasn't. No baggage. He had seen them. He had try, a friend had tried to get him into it. Uh, it didn't really take VHS tape, but it was like that he wanted to see, oh, there was some hype around this Star Wars thing in theaters. He went the first night and fell in love. Uh, and, and more of a story is, is told in that interview a couple weeks ago about I loved hearing that perspective because, you know, I, this was the first time I was like, yeah, why, why did he change Han shot first? That, that one uh, graphic, whatever, you know, that, that CGI didn't look good. And instead, and, and instead of trying to figure out the why of it all or engaging with what's on screen, all those things we kind of do now as I'm older and, and hopefully, well, dumber overall, but wiser in Star Wars, it was just easier to make jokes, right? Mm-hmm. Which is fine because you always, you and I always say it's okay to make fun of stars, poke some fun. Vader says that line and walks away. Yeah, maybe we have a giggle because it's melodramatic or whatever it is now. And we shouldn't get defensive on it. But back then it was just like, instead of trying to figure anything out, it was just let's make a joke about Star Wars. And then I felt, I felt well, the reason I, I don't like that, I definitely don't like doing it. And I get, definitely get defensive about Star Wars humor now, which is my, my problem, not anyone making Star Wars jokes is I felt, talk about water on flames, I just felt that ruined the joy I'd experienced on that day in 1997. Mm. And that how so soon, it almost like it was shoving it all back into the play chest and saying, well, that's, that, that is kid stuff. Let's just make fun of it. It's stupid anyways. And I think that's a little bit why some of my, my, my baggage I, I carry on as a Star Wars fan. Of wasn't that great? That Star Wars thing I love so much is we got to see it in theaters and there's some new stuff. Some's, some's good, some's bad. We got to see Star Wars. And then I had, People just like, yeah, 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 you should, you should put that away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially if you were feeling that pressure of uh, choose rock and roll and sports and being yeah. a cool adult, yeah. <laughs> or you can be this child who likes childish things that were dumb. 
and and were yeah. made worse. Yeah, like uh, what what great tension to put on you. Yeah, and, and, and you know it wasn't something I was actively understanding at the time, but but looking back and just seeing where we are now and discussing Star Wars and where the fandom's grown. And again, I we, we're always striving to be better as a fan, and we always should be. But but uh, I, I, had, I had an easy life. No one get me wrong. But just yeah, it was it was totally like. George doesn't even know his own movies. What what a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's such a big thing that continues to me with Star Wars humor is is it coming from a place of yeah, a part of Star Wars, the fun of Star Wars is that it's a weird fantasy and it's it's kind of funny that there aren't railings, right? It's kind of funny yeah. that the stormtroopers uh miss any miss a lot, you know, after Obi-Wan says that only stormtroopers could be this precise. Like they, there's a lot of jokes that can come from a good-hearted place of let's have fun about this bizarre world. And then there are those jokes that are totally demeaning to its existence, right? That it's, yeah. it's stupid and you are stupid for liking it. <laughs> yep. And there's such a big difference uh, in, in tone for me. Yeah. And, and back then it was a lot of, uh, it's stupid, put it away, kid. Yeah. I think for me that uh, when I look back, a lot of my memories I realize are moments where I disagreed or moments where uh, my friends and I all agreed that, uh, you know, something was, not right. Uh, but my general memory is positive because it was the first time I was exposed to lots of people wanting to discuss Star Wars. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and even though uh, I disagreed with some of the opinions at the time, I now disagree with even even more of them <laughs> mm -hmm. from the perspective of age, that it was, I don't know, it was thrilling and terrifying that Star Wars could just be part of social life, you know? Yeah. Um, the, at... Uh, and, and, and there were a lot of jokes because a lot of my community was comedy people. Um, but then there was also like, because we were, you know, saying like, well, well, we're artists and we're thinkers and we're comedians or analyzing society. Like there was also like a real taking it seriously. And a lot of the Han first stuff was about like, well, let's look at narrative arcs because mm. he needs to start from a place of, you know, not having morality if this, if his journey is morality. So like even the criticisms were on like some level taking it seriously in my social group. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of, is, is CGI, um, is it alienating? Is it, can, is it cold? Right. You know, is that, that's where the practical, practical effects debate started in my social group and in my yeah. world where like a lot of the nerd community I was involved in, it was like, of course, this is agreed upon a uh, truth that practical effects are, are better. Like, why would you ever have a computer when you could have a Muppet? Like, yeah. that was the beginning of the battle for me before the prequels even came out. Do you out. hear people have electronic mail they're starting to use now? <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. No, I was one of those people uh, about oh. the, like, that, my first paper I wrote in college was like, should we have email? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have a, a friend who still forwards me the email that I sent in like 2006 that says anyone that used Gmail is a pretentious bleep. Um, <laughs> I'm so, so sorry about all the Gmail I've sent you. Yeah, yeah. So I apologize as well for the ones I've sent everyone else from my Gmail account. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was going to make a joke, but I wish I could have uh, hung out with your friend groups. I did. I had some wonderful friends and, and they're all still around me. But yeah, um, we engaged, uh, we engaged uh, Star Wars a little differently, which, which set me on a certain path, right? Going into the, I'm going into the prequels, just trying to, uh, trying to engage with Star Wars, uh, you know, on, on, on that level of what, what did they do wrong? Yeah. Yeah, it, absolutely. And there was a lot of that for sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I have three very specific memories. One is that my friend that I did a lot of theater with her, her boyfriend at the time, um, he was, he was older than all of us and a, a real cinema guy and he had lots of strong opinions. And one of them was, I think 
I think he didn't want to go to Empire Strikes Back or maybe he was dragging his feet about Empire Strikes Back and it was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Because for me at the time, that was the absolutely, of course, it is the best. Uh, and part of the reason was he thought the Imperial March was, you know, just derivative of, you know, the classical music influences that Williams pulls from. It's it, And it's it's so repetitive. It's kind of boring to listen to. And, and, the, and the movie's just full of it. <laughs> it was just like... <laughs> It was one of the, along with the Vader laugh, it was one of the first, like, uh, this, this, uh, this can't stand. He's wrong. What do I do? Who do I, what government agency can I report this to? It's wrong. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I so love that, that one was hard. Uh, another friend, I think, uh, I think it was after the Return of the Jedi had come out. And by then the friend group was really in there like, all right, with well, the site, each new one that comes out, we're going to say, we're going to talk about which changes were good, which changes were bad. Yeah. Um, Another friend had their official list <laughs> uh, that was entitled George Lucas's Three Greatest Sins. You pull out the paper. I got it here. It, it was in, all laid out with, you know, supporting evidence. So it was thoughtful, but it was still this, like, but George Lucas has, he, he's, you know, yeah. he doesn't understand what he made, you know, uh, that, that entire thing. Yeah. So that's a strong memory. My final one is, um, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, that, you know, when we were growing up, the overall cultural information that I would say we were being given mm-hmm. is that Star Wars was a boys thing. Yep. And uh, I find that so sad because there obviously were a ton of women who did like it. And, and yeah. you know, I have friends my same age who are women who I have since learned were encouraged not to express that. The mm-hmm. same way I would have not, it would have not been cool for me to go around saying I really like My Little Pony. That would have been, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so there's the the sadness that certainly that the the women of that era were were often held back yeah. from you know fully owning their love, uh, and that for me I grew up with the misconception because society told me that women didn't like it, and society told me if I left that uh, poster on my wall in my bedroom, nothing else would ever happen in my bedroom. <laughs> it was a choice between women or Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. on my you know. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the first times that that got to be shattered was you know, there were women in the, in the comedy group and they were all in and yeah. wanted to talk about it. And it was like this great, beautiful shock. Yeah. In the beginning of me understanding, like I always understood that there was a lot of, from my perception, weird baggage about gender yeah. and, and exactly what you could and could not like and could not say Mm-hmm. Uh, information from culture and w- exactly what I was supposed to be and what I wasn't supposed to be if I was going to be a quote unquote man. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was one of the first times that it really, it was a thrill, Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, a stereotype uh, shattering to me at the time thrill that this, uh, you know, these women who do comedy and make jokes and, uh, and they love Star Wars too. And they have a strong opinion and some of them I even disagree with. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like oh, so you know, we 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 work with Jennifer Landa on the podcast. It's like I I wish to God I I uh, was allowed to know that Jennifer Landa's existed in the eighties. Yeah, I I was told they didn't. It was a yeah. lie. It was a lie. Yeah, and that was a that was a great part of uh, of the special editions for me of the the beginning of shattering that wall. <laughs> yeah, no, we I mentioned my my friend Megan. It was it was an IDJ. She was like big Star Wars fan, but I was like, I got Star Wars Monopoly. Do you want to play it? She's like, do I want to play it? Yes. 
we played it for like every night for months, months we played the game. Like it was great. It was a great, yeah. And, and, and it looking back now and again, I always, I keep saying we're not perfect. We're not, we're always growing. That's important to remember, but uh, I do like looking back to, to where we are or where, where we were, where we are now. And, and special editions, you're right. It, it exploded it out in that kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I realize everybody has a different life experiences and we can only uh, speak from ours, but uh, I think it is telling that you and I and, and growing up in very different places, <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes in similar so- social circles and sometimes in different ones had us had a similar uh, uh, experience of feeling like this is the information we are being given as young people of the way this works. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I have a lot of toy memories related to the special editions because I was so into the uh, power of the force line and it was so much a part of my fandom. Do you have merch memories for the special editions? I was trying to really kind of dig into this one. I think they're all rolled into the Power of the Force memories. So it's kind of, yeah, one of the same. I just, you know, the 95 uh, to- toys coming back was a big moment in my life. Once when I picked up the Luke lightsaber, all the figures sneaking off out of, uh, you know, sneaking off during film class breaks uh, to the Toys R Us uh, uh, nearby in Santa Maria, California. So I think, I think I don't have any specific ones other than when like, some of like, like the droid, the fixer droid or whatever, the figure comes out. Right. And it's, and I just remember being excited about seeing that kind of stuff. And again, it being everywhere. And it was a continuation of that 90, 1995 moment. So it contributed to this, like star, it, is, it wasn't about Star Wars is back. It's like, finally, Star Wars is around me everywhere I go. Yeah. Yeah. And just with, as the VHS tapes came out, I believe in August of that year and posters and like, yeah, it was just around more. Um, but for me, it was, you know, it was thrilling to see kind of new action figures. You know, there were parts of the Jabba and Han scene that I liked and other parts I was challenged by, but I was so thrilled. And I remember the day and the place <laughs> that right. I bought that Power of the Force 2, you know, new weird Jabba and Han Solo set, you know. <laughs> and I remember, I, I don't, I can't remember if I ever picked it up, but there's the uh, the ASP-7 droid figure that comes with space port support rods <laughs> and it's the of course the little scene and most the extended scene in most Eisley where the little patrol droid does the uh you know obnoxious noise and the mm. ass droid smacks it uh but i remember that that action f- figure being a peg warmer for a long time <laughs> right so i'd go i'd go hunting and there'd be the ass seven and it had the little sticker that says it's from the new footage and i thought it was cool <laughs> i don't yep. remember if i ever bought it but it was always there I never did, but it's like that, that, I mean, when you're at, that's my memory of that line. So yeah, the droid, no one, I, I didn't buy, no one bought. Yep. 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 <laughs> now I feel bad and I got to check yeah. my storage unit when I go back to Minneapolis to see if yeah. I still have the ASP seven or if what, I ever it, bought it at all. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, but it was a little like I had the Star Wars Monopoly thing. I think that came out in 97 range. I have to go check the box. Um, and that was one of those things too, where I have a little bit more of those kind of memories. I'm trying to remember, I, I think it was around the era I picked up my Princess Leia shirt Mm. was um i still may have it somewhere it definitely doesn't fit me anymore uh egads but uh it was like it was uh leia uh, you know new hope space cinnamon buns leia with the blaster pointed right at your face and it's like a pencil drawing type of thing and mm. that kind of that was my standy is the yeah. pointing the blaster right at your face it was right? a popular leia image at the time popular so i had the t-shirt and i remember wearing it and I eventually would wear it to stand-up shows in the mid-2000s to help set up the fact that I was a nerd virgin comic. <laughs> so even then, it's like I'm celebrating Star Wars by going, here's the shorthand language. I like this so you know that my perspective is shunned. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> uh, times change, times change. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about uh, how we reacted to those shocking special, special edition changes uh, back in the day. Uh, I am going to clear my throat a few times, and we'll be back in just a minute. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we are back to continue our discussion of special memories of the special editions uh, during this general anniversary period for them. Uh, like I said before the break, we're going to talk about the changes from back in the day and how we felt about them then and how we might have changed now. I think, Ken, it's kind of important to keep in mind that there were huge changes in 1997, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then again, for the initial uh, DVD release in 2004 and again in 2011 for the Blu-ray releases, mm -hmm. and there are other tweaks you know, along the way uh, as well, obviously. But those are the major ones. And for this discussion, we're really focusing on those ones from 1997. Which is um, hard to do, uh, my right. man. 
right? Because I, I was going through a list uh, uh, on Wikipedia in preparation for the Billy Patterson interview. And ones I was prepared to talk about, I was like, oh, that's right. That's from like the DVD. Oh, that's right. That's from 2011. Oh, McClunky is from 2019. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 uh, if you're out there listening, you haven't gone through the list in a while, I suggest you do it because something you might be grumpy at isn't the 97s. <laughs> it's later on. Yeah. Yeah. It is a long and winding road of changes. So it's mm-hmm. fun to try to get back to just 97. Uh, so, what did you uh, like in A New Hope of the changes and what challenged you and why? Uh, so I love seeing more bigs, first of all. Uh, mm-hmm. I really love seeing that. And and even though we didn't get um, like Tashi Station stuff, uh, I loved it. And I loved, you know, the original Garvin Dave Drace. Uh, oh, I knew your dad, Luke. Oh, he's a good dude. Yeah, <laughs> I love seeing that scene. But I just, that was really the spirit I carried into New Hope uh, because I also say I loved the Jabba scene then, despite it. Yeah, and does it work then, now, and forever? Ah, for a lot of reasons, maybe. I don't know if it works. But it was like proving a daydream I had was real. You know? <laughs> so you tell kids on the playground, do you know that Jabba was supposed to be in episode four? What? Yeah. There was a Scottish guy, and he was on the set. And then we eventually, you know, you know, making of or something, you see it. And, uh, you know, it's hot in my boy. And it's like, I, I, but I, even though I saw it on it, I didn't believe it was real. And it was like, you know, that Biggs guy, he's like Luke's friend. Like he knows him <laughs> for a while. And they mentioned it in the film, but like they, they actually, there's actually stuff with him. And so even at 21 years of age, sitting in the theater for that, it was like, I knew it. I knew when I was eight, I'd heard this thing and it's true. It really was. I love the way you're talking about that because some of those scenes were like dreams, right? Because I didn't have access to watch the movies again and again. And my memories would fuse with things I'd read on the back of a trading card or pictures uh, that were in the storybook or Mm -hmm. things that were on the public radio (laughs) adaptations. Uh, You know, and then as I got older and I had them at home on on the VHS pan and scan, there's some stuff I I got a little bit more clarity on. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the the existence of Biggs and Jabba in those scenes was like this dreamlike reality. Um, yeah, and I loved, I loved the big stuff, right? Because it was, it, uh, again, going back to then, had a little bit of like, okay, I'm not sure about some of the CGI stuff, uh, but that was just original footage back in that, it, and I was coming at it mm-hmm. from like, what these are these are uh, space movies and they're fun, but there's also it's also depth and like, oh, seeing Luke reconnect with his friend makes Luke's pain more intense. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, just in an emo phase where I was into intense pain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an honesty of a uh, of perspective and age. So I loved that big scene putting being put back in. Yeah, I remember being mixed on Jabba, but actually thinking that Han stepping on his tail was funny because it was like a meta joke to me. That's what was funny about it was this idea, not that Han stepped on Jabba's tail and he went, did the big face, like yeah. been yeah. but it was more like the clever, uh, we have so much meta clever acknowledging that the audience can see behind, uh, you know, the curtain yeah. in, in everything. It, it, for me, it was an earlier version of that, whereas like, it was like the animators going, yeah, we know that the spatial thing doesn't work. So we found a way to make it funny. And I yeah. thought that was clever. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, yeah. It's one of those things where, where simultaneously it was never my favorite thing. It isn't my favorite thing, but also I remember laughing. Right. And sometimes go with your gut <laughs> before, <laughs> before you start dumping all the other things on top of it. I, yeah. Did it again. It, it just doesn't look well, look good. Uh, it, it's not maybe, um, well used uh, just overall, but yeah, I'm with you on that. Or like, I, I laughed then I laughed at the moment. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I remember being torn on some of it, but I laughed at yeah. that. Um, I was torn on the shockwave effects of the uh, of the Death Star. Oh, um, you were one of those. Got it. Got it. It, I remember people going like, that, that's a good change, right? To kind of make it bigger. Cause it just, it, the old one just kind of looked like a firework. <laughs> I would be kind of, I would quietly be like, that's why I liked it. Uh, I, I know I've said this on the podcast before, but uh, family didn't always go to fireworks displays around the 4th of July. It was actually kind of a rare treat that we would. And part of what made it a rare treat was it, every firework to me was the Death Star blowing up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was so excited to watch the Death Star blow up again and again, you know, to celebrate right. our nation. Weird kid. Yeah. Uh, so I was kind of bummed out that it didn't look like a firework anymore. Look, I get you and I'm laughing, but there was definitely, there was definitely, uh, you know, d- camps on the Death Star explosion. I liked it. The reason I liked it is this is, you're jogging my memory here, which is why we do these memory shows here in Force Center. I liked it because it, it was, is it Star Trek six that begins with a planet uh, exploding and uh, yeah. Sulu's got the ship, right? He's, uh, yeah. He's got the help. Okay. Yeah. It's the Klingon moon. Yes. Thank you. And love, I, I love Undiscovered Country, but you know, I was always in a debate with my friend, Steven. He was a Star Trek guy. He was a Star Wars guy. And that classic debate that we all thought was original, uh, we were all fighting over <laughs> it. And I just remember the Death Star explosion at least kind of matches the energy of that six star trek six explosion because i was always a little jealous of it <laughs> you know we're going in the wilds here in my memory banks but i was always a little jealous that that explosion was better than the death star just going poof okay so you felt like star trek had upped the ante on mm-hmm. planetary destruction and star wars was like oh yeah yeah watch this it's like you know brian wilson hears revolver and comes up with pet sounds mccartney hears pet sounds and comes up with sergeant pepper like i was just like <laughs> All right, Star Trek, we see you, we see you, and we're going to try to, you know, do what we can to catch up there, yeah. And now planets blow up so big. <laughs> so big. All right, so we have to talk about what is uh, obviously one of the biggest discussions of 1997, and it still goes on to this still very day. <laughs> uh, did Han shoot first? Did Han shoot only? Uh, is, is, was Greedo wearing only one contact in his giant yeah. eye that he could miss Han Solo at that range? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's been, I think, fussed with every single time, right? Every single time. Uh, every single major change has uh, featured uh, further fussing with the Han Greedo confrontation. How did you feel back in '97? Were you an adamant uh, Han shot first? Yes, I even have. Uh, the same t-shirt that George eventually wore or how, you know, I, whatever I, I paid like 25 bucks in the Mac, Mac back of the magazine is one of the first star Wars t-shirts I bought. Um, and I still have it. I, it's tattered. I can't wear it, but I just kind of keep it for that, that connection. I was a Han shot first person then. And I'm tr- we're trying to keep this conversation to them. Now I, I, now I'm more in the camp of Han shot first because he's a survivor. It's the connection to solo. We can go down that path over and over again with great conversations. Um, he doesn't, you know, he, he knows the lay of the land. He's not just a cool, cold, bad, badass, which I think the argument back then was more based on that. Right. If I'm mm-hmm. making memory serves like, no, Han's a cool, ba- he's a killer man. And I, now I get George's point overall, the point I will say of him going, eh, maybe, maybe that's not necessarily who Han was. Um, Billy had a great point, not to reiterate just the interview, but of just like, w- look at Han's life. Yes. He's, we think he's cool. He messes up more than 
succeeds. That's his part of his character. <laughs> He's a little silly and clumsy at times, right? <laughs> like part of his charm, yeah. Part of his charm. Like again, my favorite one of my favorite moments is, "Hey, it's me," and then he steps on, steps on a twig, and and a whole series of events comes on his clumsy step of a of a twig. So Hans, maybe our memory of him was the cool badass that shot and killed first. Uh, that's not necessarily who Han is, but that's a different discussion for a different time, I guess, or, or you could weave it in as you need. But at the time, yeah, I was a little bit of what, how could you do that? Get me the t-shirt. I need to tell the world. <laughs> I need to tell the world. Yeah. yeah uh, I needed a t-shirt that said the Imperial March is great. Actually. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I forgot. I also, I really loved the change uh, in uh, a new hope where there were more stormtroopers, right? Speaking oh, yeah. of Han doing <laughs> clumsy, stupid things. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he charges after him and there's a bunch now. I thought that was so great because it just heightened the joke. Higher stakes, bigger laugh. Great. Um, yeah, but the the Greedo shooting first, I didn't like uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm still fine with it if uh, if mm-hmm. Han shoots only. Uh, I do yeah. understand where, where Lucas is coming from. And uh, particularly if you... Know, listen to a lot of his interviews and his train of thought that uh, that he really wants this to be a morality tale, right? And he really wants this to be for kids. And he wanted, even though Han goes through a growth arc, that growth is more about letting other people in and believing that other people would be there to help him and rescue him. You know, yeah. that's what his arc is about. I think in Lucas coming from the perspective of, I don't want him to be a cold-blooded killer. I don't want people to look up to a cold-blooded killer. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was always like, um, it, it, he knew he was going to be point blank shot. It's, it, it always felt defensive to me as a kid. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, the, in, in the, I've always loved, it's still one of my favorite Han moments, the, f- the flicking the wall <laughs> to mm-hmm, distract mm-hmm. Greedo's big eyes while he takes the blaster out under the table and the, you know, totally cool. Yeah. I bet you do. Um, uh, so it, it, it bothered me because I was afraid it was taken away from that cool moment uh, at the time. And now I just, it, it's just not that big of a deal uh, up to, I think like this might've been in the two thousands when a friend told me like, yeah, we, we, we watch the trilogy often and we watch special edition now, but we, we stop and we take the disc out for special edition and we put <laughs> the original in for the Greedo scene because we, we will, we will not abide it. That's a lot of work. Um, yeah. And look, I, if he had never changed it, we, I, I I wouldn't have questioned it. And maybe it's a matter of, of George uh, understanding his content, but be, maybe Aaron on the side of caution um, um, as well. But, but, but yeah, again, a bigger discussion always to be had, but it's just hilarious. It's still had and people are still very passionate about it. It's, yeah. uh, it's, 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 it's a lasting legacy for better or worse than this, this movie. Right. And if you just want to analyze the text, Greedo is uh, nervous, drunk, the worst shot ever. You know, they, they've changed how much Han dances around to yeah. dodge it. <laughs> they've changed the exactly how close they shoot together. You know, yeah, a lot, a lot of changes over the years. But uh, I didn't like it at the time. It is not my biggest concern now. Yeah, we agree. So uh, let's move on then to, to Empire. Uh, did anything challenge you in this one? What did you love? Give me your Empire thoughts. Much like I loved a lot of like going back to New Hope, I loved a little bit more of the Tatooine, the ride into town, the better X-Wings, the crawler. I really, that spirit kind of carried over to Empire where I really then, now, and uh, forever love the uh, revamped Cloud City. Um, I, I really kind of like just the look and feel, the extra Wampa stuff. Again, we yes, there's less in this film. Uh, on the surface, but, but if you look at the list of changes, there's a lot of little things along the way. And then I, I guess you could, I, I, I can understand that it's maybe 
a time filler and somewhat pointless, but I've always loved Vader boarding his shuttle and heading back to Superstar Store. I really have. Uh, number one, I give me a little extra footage from one of my favorites, Moff Jerry Gerard. I, but I like it because it's like Darth Vader's very bad day at work. <laughs> <laughs> and in the end, you know, he's like stomping back. But when you think about it, you know, again, trying to have this conversation in terms of 97. So I liked it then. I just liked seeing extra footage. I liked seeing a, a, a Lambda class shuttle in Empire. I liked seeing that kind of connection because remember, a Lambda class in 83 was brand new. Like where they've been hiding this ship all along. Yep. And so to see it kind of there in Empire, I liked a lot. Uh, but now you look at it, it's like, I mean, he just confessed this truth to his son, you know, ad- admitted that to both him and his son, essentially, tried to recruit him, him being his son, to kill his boss. And now he's trying to figure out how to go forward as if it's all normal, you know? He's stopping, yep. but now, now he's in his head and his thoughts going, what have I done? What do I do? Yeah, 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 get my shuttle. I got to go back to work. And I, now I love, I love that extra footage even more, but I, I liked it then too. Yeah, I, I just have always loved the delivery on that line of uh, alert my Star Destroyer to prepare for my arrival. Uh, James Earl Jones just goes so hard on the delivery of that really pedestrian line, right? Yeah. I mean, it's basically Vader just being like, uh, order me my space Uber, but he goes so hard on the line, prepare for my arrival. Uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's a, a unique kind of Star Wars thing where different uh, eras and parts of Star Wars are more obsessed with Let's really show the ships landing, taking off and yes. landing. Yes. <laughs> and yes. you can see the beginning of uh, the Clone Wars uh, animated series commitment to watching ships fully take off and land. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Begins here, reinserting this into Empire Strikes Back or inserting this into Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like that. Uh, the Wampa, I loved. That was mm-hmm. probably my absolute favorite. It funneled into my my thinking at the time of uh enjoying practical effects more uh it's proof, it, right? right yeah and it, and it heightened it heightened the scene i still love that uh mm-hmm. that it's grisly right it's yep. that weird star wars tension of like well it's for kids <laughs> uh, let's let's watch this carnivore just yeah tear down on this bloody meat yeah yeah, yeah. uh so i loved that the wampa scene and uh, the change that I dislike the most mm, mm. is gone now, right? Right. right. And that is, uh, I remember this because uh, I remember being like, "Wow, there are no changes I dislike." The Wampa Shaw was amazing. There aren't any, we get to see more Cloud City. There's not that other that many other things. This is great. And then uh, Luke chooses to to let go on Cloud City and screams on the way down. Yes, and the scream is just basically Palpatine's scream reworked. and Yeah, which I had no idea at the time. It was, yeah. For me, it was just correct, like correct. I had so invested in Luke's journey. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a choice. And it's like, why would he yell when it's a choice? Like, right. it was definitely one of those moments where, where, for me, it epitomized the battle that people have had over the years with the special edition of, Yep, George Lucas, this is yours. You created it. You created, you, you wanted to make these uh, changes, but I have internalized the story this way and this new change is challenging the yeah. way I've internalized the story. Yeah, no, that's fair. And and and, uh, and, and guess what? He must have gone back and rethought it. <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. Yeah. It's and I, gone. And I do remember, you yeah, right, sitting in the theater, again, less friends around me this time. The hype's died down a little bit, even though the films make money clearly, but I'm sitting there just kind of, yeah, I remember that one not sitting well. And and again, you don't have to live with it anymore. It's gone. Yep. Yep. And that was on the list, uh, my friend's list of George Lucas's <laughs> three greatest sins. 
Yeah. But it, you know, it uh it created this overall interesting arc where where New Hope had lots of changes. Some of them, like Greedo uh shooting at Han first, uh being extremely controversial. And then Empire didn't have that many Mm-mm. controversial changes. And I remember having lots of discussions of like that was actually all pretty cool, except for the scream. But besides that, it was all pretty cool. I wonder what Return of the Jedi is going to be like, right? <laughs> because that's 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 the best one, right? Um, one one thing I I got I was I was refreshed. This is something I wouldn't um, actively have mentioned uh, if I hadn't been refreshed by a list. They changed for this one. They changed Luke's line, which I always loved as a kid. I think I remember used to quote with my friends a lot. Uh, Luke says to R two after getting eaten there on the uh, Dagobah there in the swamps, "You're lucky you don't taste very good," and that's gone. And now it's like you're lucky you got out of there. And I, that was one of my favorite little laugh lines as a kid. So there you go. George doesn't understand Star Wars. <laughs> wow. I don't think I processed that one uh, in 97. I, I didn't. Again, I'm looking at the list and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I used to say that line. I think it's hilarious. He's a robot. Robots can't taste anything but metal. Of course, he doesn't taste good, Luke. I uh, love that line when I was seven. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of little little things along the way, even going back to 1981 on a theatrical re-release of George changing audio here and there. Th- this we know. But that was when I totally forgot. But then memory uh, jogged. Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. Yeah. And my path was weird because uh, I watched them a ton on uh, the pan and scan uh, before special editions. Then I got the widescreen special edition VHS. And then eventually I got the the discs that I believe were 2006 that had um, the originals as, mm-hmm. as bonus discs. And for a long time, I watched the originals. So like I've gone back and forth my entire life on what I watch. Right, right. Yeah. And it makes it a little a little confusing. So we'll get to Return of the Jedi uh, what challenged you there and uh, and why? And what did you like? Yeah, I call this section the tale of two musical numbers. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, and, um, yeah, it's, it's Jedi Rocks versus Victory Celebration for me. And I, I, I despised one and actually even then loved the other. Um, mm. Yeah, Jedi Rocks destroyed me then, man. And it, it amuses me now. And we've talked enough about it. I think we've had enough wonderful databank brawls with characters from the Jedi Rocks that... Um, you know, age, time, and the real world causes more problems uh, to, than to go back and, and, and just look at this. But I, I, one of the reasons I say now, um, and we can get more to the 97, Joseph, is, is this. I can always point to this sequence and say, don't forget Star Wars is silly. It mm-hmm. means everything, but don't forget a little rat rodent thing sing and we saw his saliva and we danced. <laughs> So it's never going to be my favorite scene. I think it's too animated. I think it does the tech. Maybe maybe redo it. Uh, in fact, here's my proposal: do George c- comes back, do this entire scene in the volume for the 50th anniversary re-release. <laughs> uh, that would be re- the, a battle of the bands. Yes. Yeah. Between Lefty Neck and Jedi Rocks. Yeah, but at the time in 1997, even though I'm an uncool nerd, despite being on rock radio, I'm definitely cool, right? No, I was an uncool nerd. This challenged what you had talked about earlier of, no, Star Wars is red lightsabers and stormtroopers and fights and it's explosions and it's cool, man. And yes, it is all those things. But uh, this has its place in Star Wars as well, even though this scene's still not my favorite, not executed, whatever. I can throw all those things out there. But it, it, it's, uh, it challenged me then in 97. I was like, no, have I been mistaken? Has Star Wars been for kids the entire time? <laughs> 
Yeah, I I, I was definitely deeply uh, challenged by the uh, the musical oh, yeah. transition, and I think I heard that whatever interview with Lucas, wherever it was, uh, lost in my memory of uh, like, yeah, I, th- I thought it'd be funny if there's just like a MTV music video in the middle of Star Wars. That's what I always wanted it to be. <laughs> And I was like, no, no, uh, I, th- there's just, I think we've talked about it before with, uh, with lap the neck, you know, especially when you grew up with it and mm-hmm. totally understand Lucas's perspective of, I always wanted it to be bigger, bigger, yeah. uh, but when you just watch it, not knowing that from the person who created its point of view, it, it's less than it feels like, eh, this is kind of a low down CD place, right? Like yeah. Yeah. it is kind of what we can afford. Like, yeah, they're, they're technically good musicians, but it's this stripped down sort of like, yeah, it is just kind of some music to bob along to, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> while, while, while the spice and the drinks are enjoyed. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Jedi rocks feels like, uh, wow, we somehow got a, a Vegas act <laughs> yes. for a residency at the palace. There is an entirely different, like mood and energy and sort of real world analog to it really is. And look, as, as we play Jabba's palace and battlefront two more and more, and we see more maps and we go spend time there, book of Boba Fett, though, not a lot of people hanging out there yet. Uh, the palace does seem bigger. It does maybe make a little more sense to me, but I love your idea about the CD bar. It was supposed to be dangerous. As a kid, I was almost scared to go in there every time when that door opens and three people and R2 got to go in. I'm like, no, plus there's a spider droid. I didn't even know about the form amongst <laughs> you, but yeah. And so there's a little bit about that as well. Again, challenging years of uh, things in my head about what Star Wars was at the time and what was on the screen there. Yeah. And I think for me, that is the big one of the, the, the Joe Yauza and the kind of different filmic language that like Joe Yauza out of everyone in Star mm-hmm. Wars seemed to be aware of where the camera was. Right. Yes. Like who else in Star Wars is aware of where the camera is, you know, like and that was some of the like <laughs> conversations we, we had. But for me now, I think it is one of those uh, things where a you, you just accept changes because uh, yeah. changes happen. So be it. Uh, I got this on disc. Uh, I can watch Lefty Neck. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it has become so important to me to accept internalize from the very beginning of Star Wars one of the things that's it has been important to George Lucas and has continued on with the other creators is to not is to take the serious things serious, mm-hmm. but there's plenty of room for the silly and the fun. And then there's a spirit of why not of, mm-hmm. I really like the division that I think is happening now, where if we're talking about like deep philosophy about what the Jedi means or the nature of the force, or, you know, what is, what is a good morality for certain characters to have that stuff is really protected. Yep. But outside of that, all the surface level stuff, let's have this sense of fun. Let's have this sense of why not. And I, mm-hmm. when I look at Joe Yauza now, I'm like, oh, that's a reminder that that is a part of this. Of e- Even if it doesn't always land with me being silly and swinging for the fences on weird stuff and maybe kind of breaking a little of the surface rules, that's a part of the spirit of Star Wars. Well said, especially on the why not idea of Star Wars. That's a big one. We we talk about why, but why not for the creators is, is absolutely big. And and look, you know, we always talk about how here at Force Center we, we lead with joy uh and find what what's what's there the stories. If we didn't, we would just do every single podcast episode about Jedi Rocks. <laughs> yes. It'd be a thousand yes. episodes of let's tell you why this doesn't work, but you have look. to move past that. If we're talking Desert Island Discs and I am trapped on a desert island with only one song, yeah, it's going to be Lapty Neck. That is uh, yes. my far preferred song to uh, to mm-hmm. rock out to. Sorry, Jedi Rocks. But mm-hmm. yeah, 
I but just, yeah, I, bring I had, other perspectives to the table too. I had Lefty Nick playing in my, my car the other day on uh, on CD, um, which already make already makes me sound old, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know what I mean. Like you know, it, the, we would literally do a thousand episodes on why it, why this is bad if you get hung up on that, and that's why we we always say push forward and find what's there for you and uh, and uh, deal with the rest. So yeah, and I, I think you're right too. If when Star Wars, you, you need to take the series serious, and then when you're not, you know. You got porgs, we got Grogu eating frogs, uh, you know, eggs, we got macaroons being stolen. We got a lot of things going on. Yeah, and it comes full circle for, for me where I really did not like that and was happy to discuss why it was a bad change. And then I literally pumped my fist when Fennec Shan said, yeah, the Major Domo is singing like a yuzum. It's like, yeah, like Joe Yowza. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. times change. Uh, I also loved... Uh, I didn't mind the new Ewok music. It made sense to me, even though I liked that song. Mm. It, the, the new song made sense to me and it, it sounded like John Williams and I, and I liked it, but I particularly liked seeing uh, the celebration on Coruscant and uh, in Bespin. And I remember people going like, did you see them passing the stormtrooper around? I think I saw it twice because I didn't see the stormtrooper the first time. And somebody's right. like, you got to look down at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> yep. Yep. Brutal. Um, so yeah. I, uh, victory celebration worked for me then. And I, and I love it now. Um, and look, I, I I'm setting the picture here, uh, picture, uh, scrawny Ken with a scraggly beard, shoulder length hair, 1994, summer of 94, driving around in a 1981 Ford Fairmont and on a tape deck, not connected to the car, just a tape deck <laughs> on battery power on the front <laughs> seat, bumping yub nub. <laughs> Just windows down. Me and my friend, who's Gavin, who's since passed away. He was my Chewy. I was the Han. Just driving in the neighborhood, hearing "Yub Nub," each yub, yub. Like I loved that song. I loved that song. But that just, I, I got it. It was, but I, a victory celebration worked. But I got to tell you, it was also one of those first times. Joseph, we talk about a lot of things that '97 did for us as Star Wars fans, uh, good, bad, and otherwise. This was one of the first times where I had to face that. Wait a minute, that newer thing in Star Wars I liked better than the old thing. What do I do with that information? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's hard to process, isn't it? Yeah, because the conversation of the day was how dare they get rid of they got rid of Laptinik and Yubnub in the same movie in the same <laughs> March 14th, 1997. Both of those are gone from our lives. Empire uh, Strikes Back lulled us into a false sense of yeah. security about the changes in Return of the Jedi. And then we were shocked, blindsided. Yeah. And I think it was the first time I had to kind of look myself uh, in the rearview mirror of a Ford Fairmont and say, nah, I, I love, I'll always have Yub Nub. I got the CD right here. The four disc collection said I can play it all I want. Uh, the Victory Celebration was the bigger scope. It was, uh, it just fit. And it's a good piece of music. Yeah, it felt galactic and I liked seeing that, oh, that to, to, you know, get a bigger view of like, yep, this is, this affects the entire galaxy and to see the celebration yeah. and to feel that in the music. I, I love that. And it goes to, you know, George saying often, and you just cited it for the Jedi Rock sequence of, yeah, you know, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the tech. I didn't, it was always bigger in my mind. And this was one of those moments where that really worked. I imagine this was always bigger in his mind. And I imagine a little fireworks show on Endor wasn't where the party stopped. So it, it definitely, uh, it, it hit on all levels for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you triggered a memory about, uh, about Yubnub that, uh, so I think it was in 96, uh, there was a, a, we were doing our, uh, sketch comedy uh, shows around the university and in other theaters in Minneapolis. And, uh, the, um, but, but we were not in, we weren't in the acting. Uh, we didn't, uh, 
we weren't in the acting world of the University mm-hmm. of Minnesota, and like that acting program was serious. And but we did like a um, we did like a, a, a you could sign up for it, and it did a variety show, and we did a weird sketch, and it only went over okay. Uh, and then these uh, there's this big sketch where a bunch of people slowly came out with instruments, dressed as cool jazz musicians, and it was like, ooh, what's going on? And the joke ended up being that they played Yub Nub in a cool jazz way. And that was like the whole thing. And people like exploded in applause. And, uh, and then like a month later, this came out. (laughs) And I was like, wow, that that was a good bit and utterly destroyed by the new film. Gone, gone. Yeah. Gone, gone. Last thing for me in Return of the Jedi. And I'm very curious about your thought on this. I always loved, uh, Boba Fett flirting with, uh, Rystal Sant and Lin Me and giving the little, uh, little chin. Mm-hmm. Touched a rice doll. I always thought that made him seem like, oh, Boba Fett's full of himself. I actually like that. I I liked it, and I, I did not have this deep thought then. But it's like you look at it now, and it's like, hey, you know, there is someone under there. Mm-hmm. And um, he had some real emotions and uh, wants and desires in that moment, <laughs> you know. And he's <laughs> he's a real he's a real character waiting to come out. Uh, I didn't have that that deep thought. It's so deep, but you know, it's just Don B's in a costume, right? But um, I, I'm with you on that. I didn't have a problem with that one. Yeah. I remember uh, arguing for that one and, uh, and various friends who agreed and various friends who disagreed. <laughs> so it, was funny. it was also kind of funny. I, I don't know. There's some of it I liked. It was like, yeah, sorry. Sorry. I'd like to keep chatting, but I, there's, I might need to point my blaster at something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I got to go walk into this shot uh, from my 1983. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very important question for you, Ken. Yeah. Uh, did you ever find yourself in a position to impress someone with the trivia fact that Femi Taylor is the only actor from the original films to shoot new material for the special edition? Did you ever get that opportunity? I did not. I did not <laughs> at all. Um, I do remember, though, in 97, um, thinking, wow, all caps, how do they track down this elderly person to come back and shoot the scenes? Because I did not understand how, how age worked. It was crazy. It also speaks to maybe larger problems uh, about ageism, sexism, and otherwise of, of uh, Femi Taylor comes back. She's like in her early 30s. And they're like, can you believe it? She still looked good enough to be on screen. Unbelievable. <laughs> Under massive amounts of makeup. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, and I remember being blown away by like, I thought, oh, for sure they found someone else, right? Yeah, and it's like, no, she's she's still alive after she shot. Wow, <laughs> you know. Uh, so embarrassed to be in line with that thinking there, but no, I, I didn't. Uh, that is a great trivia fact. It's a great trivia fact, and it's one that like I've known that for so many years, and thought like someday someone will ask me. <laughs> They've I've never been asked, and it burns, can it burns? It burns, it burns, it burns. So. Ultimately, looking back on the whole experience of the special editions, did the films work in a little bit of the way that they were yeah. intended to, to reawaken your fandom and get you hyped for the prequel trilogy? Uh, it, it got me hyped. Uh, but, but sir, may I, may I submit one change that I haven't addressed? I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I didn't mean to blow past your change no, no, no. thoughts. No, no, no. Because it did not. Uh, it was it was a hole in my Star Wars soul until 2022. Uh, we talked about it on the Book of Boba Fett report, but I hated capital letters hated the sarlacc pit with the little shop of horror's mouth yes yes hated that and because we saw it in the trailer and a few surprises what what's going on and i hated that (laughs) hated it had to ignore that it existed all my life like there's some great things return the jay wedge and luke hug i love that additional scene love that moment the sarlacc pit burned my soul until 
Book of Boba Fett, where it became one of my favorite Star Wars horror sequences. And now I have a different relationship with it all these years later. Why did you, I know we've talked about this way back in the day, but why did the beak bother you so much? Was it the, that it, it, because it looked like Little Shop of Horrors? Because it looked like just a plant monster? It was a, it, a little bit of the plant monster, a little bit of maybe e, the tech even showing its age as it was brand new. I don't know. It just, it just <laughs> did not seem to go there. But again, it goes to sometimes, you know, sometimes changes are good, sometimes are bad. We discussed it. You know, George knows his material, but sometimes he takes a shot. Why not? And then, oh, well, that didn't work. Let's fix it. Um, There's something about that that just, no, I grew up reenacting that scene on the playground, like I've said before in this show. I grew up playing in the sands of Pismo Beach, digging out a hole to throw my Kenner action figures in so I could reenact that scene on the sand dunes. And there was no monster mouth. And so to sit in that theater in 97 and be like, no, George, there's no monster mouth. I told you I've been playing on the beach. <laughs> no, George, no, that is hashtag not my Sarlacc. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it was one of the first time again, one of the first times that I was challenged with that. Yeah. I remember thinking that like, yeah, no, it, it, it's definitely CGI. Like even back then there was some stuff like, wow, that's amazing. And other things like, yeah, that's CGI. Yeah, and you feel right. the difference like you're talking about. So, but I also remembered that for, for me, it just being a like, yeah, that actually kind of makes it uh more interesting that the monster is at least having some <laughs> little part of choosing yeah, yeah, yeah. who it's going to eat. And yeah. uh, it suddenly made it funny to me. Like, is there ever a time where somebody just like put sand over this and it's just like, it's, <laughs> it makes, it made me think about the Sarlacc as like a, a trap that Wiley Coyote tries to set up for the Roadrunner to just run into the hole in the mouth, you know, this mouth in the hole in the desert. <laughs> and I do agree with that. And it's, it's also, it's like a great robot chicken bit or something, right? I'm just like, plug the hole, man. Like, what are you doing? Um, I, I agree with that. Uh, but yeah, but that was not my Sarlacc, not my Sarlacc. It was a gaping maw in the middle of the sand dunes. Yeah, and you're so right. The one of the greatest now horror shots in the book of Boba Fett where that uh, you what is that? Oh, it's the beak and it's coming for you. I oh. wanted yeah, well, that episode of Book of Buffett, I wanted to grab a yellow piece of paper and write George Lucas a handwritten note and say I apologize for anything I said publicly <laughs> against your Sarlacc in nineteen ninety seven through two thousand twenty one. Hashtag my Sarlacc. <laughs> uh anyway. thank you for going back because that was a big one. That was a big one. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. And, uh, and we should say, uh, there are many other changes, of course, uh, to be discussed. And, uh, we just wanted to pick out the ones that affected us deeply back in 97. This is not an attempt, uh, to list them all. Uh, so did the, did the films work then? Uh, Sarlacc, Anger and All, did they work for you to get excited about Star Wars again, for you to get excited about the prequels? Succeeded, succeeded on every level when you really, uh, think about it, but also I don't have to think about it much. I just have to go back to the feelings in that moment. It was, it was truly just a taste, right? And, and, and the rumors and these magazine articles and the thoughts of more to come. And I can't remember the exact date and time when they confirmed, yes, George is doing episode one. I don't remember that. Maybe it was before this. I don't remember that. I just remember those ended. I went out of the theater and I hear it was in, you know, morning radio, which is a love, a love of my life. I'm having so much fun doing radio stuff again in my life, but I was like enough with this. I need to go write stories and get to LA. Mm. And and that's and, and it, I do attribute that somewhat directly to special editions and and even though back then I would easily get lost on, on just pointless debates, which was a precursor of darker times to come, I was excited and I could also feel like I could publicly like this stuff again or maybe the first time you know uh, and um, to think that there was more on the way that was a great feeling and I do that's why I always 
have a special place in my heart for the special editions. And, and I don't mind people having certain opinions about them, but some of the arms crossed, nope, George ruined everything starting their moments. I'm like, okay, that's your experience. This is not mine. This, this, and then to hear the stories of Billy and Maude Garrett, all these people are like, oh, I didn't know Star Wars until special editions. I, this is why they have their place in the conversation. Uh, but I remember when that was done, those three movies were done and, and out and released in, in March and April, 1997, thinking, I'm, I, I need to create things. I need to, I need to go create things. That's a big impact. That's a powerful impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, uh, there was the, just the thrill of it and the fun of it uh, and the challenge of it uh, as an individual fan. There was yeah. the fact that it really heightened for, for my own kind of fandom with the action figures uh, that, oh, they're action figures now from the new footage and uh, that th- this is just going to keep rolling on. It's not going anywhere. It's back and it's staying. That was a huge power. But I think the fact that it made Star Wars a social experience again mm. for the first time since I was, you know, a, a child and maybe kids on the playground wanted to play it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it Star Wars was a social experience again. Uh, and now in this different way where this was the first real steps of, of uh, I think a big thing that happened with our generation where, you know, we didn't end up putting the childhood things away. They became a part of our adult life. Mm-hmm. And this was one of the first steps of Star Wars becoming a part of my adult life. I still, you know, made, made jokes about it for, for many years that were more on the, the self-deprecating side. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you really think about it, the first steps of like, Oh no, I went uh, to these movies. Then, uh, I went to, you know, a bar <laughs> yeah. and discussed with my contemporaries uh, who were working in other fields, what they thought of the film, some of the uh, the changes and some of them were just kind of fun, you know, uh, uh, debates. But some of them were real like, yeah, let's talk about story structure. Let's talk about the way a camera is used. And they were like really discussing Star Wars in an adult way that became a part of my adult life. Uh, a lot of that experience was a, uh, you can see the steps between that and uh, today we're talking about Star Wars is a real big part of my adult life. <laughs> Thankfully. Yeah. Fortunately. Yeah. No, that's a great, that's a, that's a great thing um, to bring up too. Just um, uh, as I'm, you know, saying it inspired me to tell stories, but just to have those conversations and, and it, it's easy to say, I think it's also easy to uh, make fun of, oh, it made me feel like a kid again. I, I just don't think that by itself is inherently bad. Right. Uh, it's, no. Yeah. I, I've seen some, some, some dirt slung at that kind of, thinking and and yes uh you know arrested development or uh you know lack of growth that you know that that that's maybe what you're hitting at but that's not what that statement meant but to what you're saying joseph is like it made me feel like a kid again this thing i loved as a kid but i now no longer have to put it aside and i can now apply it to my adult life both of what inspires me to do what i what i what the thing did and 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 i think that that's the great value in it there yeah, absolutely. And final memory for me is not really about the movies, but the the VHS set. Um, mm, yeah, yeah. That I, I think it came out in August of '97. I looked it up, um, and I watched those a lot. <laughs> and they had the little teaser at the beginning, and uh, they talked a little bit about the technology. But I, and I believe it was Dennis Murin. Mm. This is the first time I was really kind of hearing the names of some of the behind the scenes uh, people on the special effects. Uh, I'm paraphrasing because I haven't watched it in forever, but there's that moment where Dennis Muir was like, and it allowed us to do lots of things to get us ready for the, uh, the, uh, prequels. (laughs) (laughs) And I always remember the way he said it. I don't remember 
exactly when I was made aware of the, the prequels are for sure happening. Yeah. That moment of Dennis Muren's weird little, the, uh, the prequels <laughs> that's to me, that was the years between 97 and 99 of watching that clip yeah. again and again, going, Oh boy, the prequels, the star Wars is not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's awesome. It was awesome. very, very Muren. good. Muren. Happy memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, Final question is uh, is one you already hinted at, but what would you want to see released in theaters right. for the 50th anniversary of the original Star mm. Wars film? Um, I, I I think here's here's it's it's a gamified answer. Put them in theaters as they are now, okay, right now mm-hmm. the 2000, 2019 version, I guess you could say, with McClunky. Put them all in there, but let George make one sneaky change in each of the films, and we have to find them. We don't know. Make a game of it. Make a game of it. Come out. Did you guess? Uh, I, I'd be happy with that. Uh, but other than that, 50th, if they were to do something like that, I have no problem with them. I don't, I wouldn't expect major tweaks. And I imagine George would have to have some kind of say in it, but just like mm-hmm. if there's, hey, we're smoothed out some lines and there's this and that. And it's, that's a lot of the changes that when you go through the list, you know, just do a cleaned up version. But again, to to go uh, to a theater again and experience that stuff, uh, experience those movies. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I got to do it um, in August of 2019 for the Central Coast Film Society. They put up a, a showing of um, A New Hope. It was a Lucasfilm uh, approved event, which whew, they talk about paperwork and hoops to go through. Let me tell you. Um, and it was a great event. And, you know, Local 501st came out and everything. And and it was a uh, like a theater, like a, not a movie theater, but like a theater theater, bigger kind of a big performing arts center. So it wasn't as intimate, but also not unlike the big uh, 400 seat theaters we have now in big blockbuster theaters. Um, but it was just fun, man. And 300 plus people came out to just see Star Wars, A New Hope on the on a screen that was could not fit in their living room and that's always fun so 50th bring it on any way shape or form yeah no i i uh i saw empire strikes back at a big outdoor theater here in los angeles Mm -hmm. it was absolutely great Mm -hmm. to see uh with an audience so yeah i would love to just uh, release the current version of a new hope i know there are all the debates about you know, the availability of the original versions, if they'll ever be available, if they legally can be, uh, I kind of go in the camp of, uh, I, I respect that Lucas wants the versions that he feels are the final versions for him yeah. to be available. I'd be happy if the originals were available in some sort of, um, archival way, mm-hmm. um, so that they, they exist is a part of history, but I get where Lucas is coming from that he wants to say, here's what I'm putting forward. Sounds like that's probably, uh, in some ink, in some contracts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's a part of me that was like, oh, that'd be kind of fascinating for the 50th anniversary to, to put the, you know, totally original, doesn't even say a new hope, uh, you know, version of star Wars in the theater, but then like, but then it, it would really, you know, rip open all those debates and discussions. Right. 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 So I kind of want. I want a, a just to release the current version of A New Hope. I want there to be a filmed introduction from Lucas and just see what in the world he says about A New Hope on the 50th anniversary. <laughs> you know, because uh, he, he's such, uh, as well as a, you know, a great creator, such a character. And, yeah. you know, uh, so many things stay very consistent with him. But he also, like everybody else, has evolving perspectives. So what would he say? If there's a massive re-release of A New Hope for the 50th anniversary, what would he say is a little trailer at the beginning of it? Uh, and then the other big thing I want is I just, I want to hear McClunky in 
Dolby surround sound or Atmos, whatever the latest is. I want to hear McClunky so hard that I can feel the punch in my sternum. <laughs> McClunky. McClunky in the whole theater. Cheers. Yeah. Add extra reverb and bass on McClunky. I, I love what you're saying about George coming out because, yeah, 50 years on, he might just be like, I, you know, I did a nursery rhyme and it's still around. What? Yeah, like, he might not. Or he might just be like, yes, I'm so happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Depends on what Sabar- Sabaro food court food he had that day. <laughs> but I know the flannel would be glorious in high resolution, so yeah. that would be great. Uh, as always, when we talk about uh, special memories, uh, well, whenever we talk, it is from our perspective. But the special memories, really, these episodes are about us really looking at what we experienced based on our, our age, our life choices, all those things. So we understand people listening will have a lot of different takes and some of the special edition stuff always gets into really deep, you know, important cultural discussions about the ownership of of stories between audience and creator. So as always, if you're listening and you had a really different experience or a strong different opinion, we hear that, we respect that. Uh, this is our opportunity to hopefully share memories from our perspectives. Any final thoughts, Ken? No, well said indeed. And yeah, uh, I, I, I champion the special edition films. Doesn't mean I champion every change and and can understand all the conversations, but these are a part of the Star Wars story. They're part of uh, what brought uh, many to the Star Wars party. And and uh, that's why I always have great, uh, great fond memories of them. Plus, uh, you know, I got to buy 12 tickets on one day to see Star Wars and I'll always cherish that. <laughs> yes, I will always cherish uh, debating all of the different moments of the special editions. But uh, right now I will raise a glass to the Sarlacc's beak and we will close out the show here. Ken, where can people find us? Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod, excuse me. And you can also uh, find us on Instagram and YouTube. Facebook page is Force Center Podcast. Podcast available on ACAST, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Uh, just search and you'll find us, tpublic.com slash user slash Force Centers, where you can get merch. And we can be supported directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. You can follow me at Catnapsock or go to catnapsock.com for more information. Still highlighting satbaltrix.org. Great spot to go if you want to support a great organization that helps uh, raise funds and awareness to help battle childhood cancers but they got some big shave events where uh, members uh, of the their community their staff uh shave their heads uh to raise funds for childhood cancer research uh you can find a, a local event through that website at stbaltrix.org joseph yeah, you can find me Twitter, Instagram, TikTok is at Joseph Scrimshaw, and you can check out all sorts of other comedy adventures on my website, josephscrimshaw.com. I'd like to continue to highlight the organization Illuminative. Here's what the group says. Created and led by Native peoples, Illuminative is a new nonprofit initiative designed to increase the visibility of and challenge the negative narrative about Native nations and peoples in American society. If you're interested in all the great projects they have going on, you can check out the website at illuminatives.org. For now, uh, this is it. For myself, uh, for Ken, for Joe Yowza's tonsils, this has been Force Center. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.